you have your Bibles today and you want to follow along, we're going to be in Luke chapter 12 as we continue our study through this book. And today we come to a parable which in many Bibles is entitled the parable of the rich young fool, which would apply to a great many of us in this room, right? Because by the world's standards, we're very rich, and many times we can be very foolish in how we conduct ourselves in relation to our wealth. Now, you may be offended that I would say that of you, but I would say that of myself. And I think we all have those moments when we're very foolish. We have foolish attitudes about what we have, what we've been blessed with, what the Lord has given us. And we need a word about that, don't we? We need to understand the Lord's attitude about what we possess and what we enjoy. Jesus takes a very interesting, very uh, unusual tact for giving us the proper attitude. But Jesus uses this story. He takes the occasion of someone coming to him in the crowd and calling out to him for a very important teaching on proper attitude towards our possessions and a lesson even about retirement. We're going to talk a little bit about that today. And some of you just perked up a little bit, didn't you? How many sermons have you heard about retirement? Well, retirement is not something that's been common to man throughout the generations. Uh, really, this is just something that has come upon us within the last hundred years or so. But God even has a word for that and how we conduct ourselves with regard to our retirement. And I say that in the sense not that retirement was something uh, that folks were experiencing or doing or enjoying in this day and age, but we can take some of these principles that Jesus teaches us here and definitely apply them as we understand that word to mean retirement. But we have the occasion and we have the setting, and I want to just kind of walk through that for just a minute here. This fellow cries out in the crowd and calls upon Jesus. He says, Teacher, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. Now, it was common for rabbis, and that's what Jesus was. He was a rabbi, a teacher. It was commonplace in that day and time for rabbis to have a place of authority over civil matters when the two parties involved agreed upon the authority of that particular rabbi or teacher. So you can bet a couple of things. One is this younger brother's older brother was there in the crowd. The younger brother was ready to afford Jesus the opportunity to make a decision on a civil matter between the two of them. And he was ready for it to happen right then in that moment. Now, we also can understand from the setting, and this is going back into preceding verses that I'm taking this into account, that this fellow was really not concerned with what Jesus was preaching. He did not come there to hear the sermon of Jesus, nor was he ready to, to have a changed life. He had come there for this purpose. Uh, maybe he just knew his brother was going to be there. Uh, Jesus was the big show of the day, so to speak. People were coming, even those that did not believe, because they wanted to find out a little more about who he was and what he was about. And so he came to this meeting, this place where Jesus was teaching, with a purpose in mind. I'm going to call upon Jesus, this well-known rabbi, very respected rabbi, to tell my brother to give me what is mine. Likely the older brother had come into proprietorship of all of his father's goods upon his death and had not, according to what the law prescribed in the day, given his younger brother his share of the property. And so he says, Jesus, tell my brother to give me what I have coming. Give me what he owes me. Now, if we could read Greek, and I use we there. I'm not real good at Greek, all right? We would see that the response of Jesus is very severe in nature. He rebukes this fella. 
he rebukes him with a very severe form of address. And he says, man, who made me judge? Really what Jesus is saying here is that this is not what I came to do. I'm not about your civil matters. I'm not about your civil problems. Jesus was preaching the kingdom of God. He was helping people to understand how they might have a relationship with God through him. He was helping folks to understand his mission and ministry. This was not what Jesus came to do to decide civil matters between two parties. But as I said just a moment ago, Jesus uses the occasion to teach us something. That's just the way Jesus was, isn't it? He would use the day-to-day circumstances that he found himself in as an opportunity and an illustration to teach us some greater truth. And so that's what he did here. He rebuked the man, says, you're not about the right things. says, your attitude is wrong. You're greedy and you're concerned about money when you should be listening to me, the son of God who has come to save the world. And you're so blinded about temporal matters And your attitude is so out of sorts with what it should be concerning those things, you are missing out on the opportunity to know God and the Messiah whom he sent. That's really what Jesus is getting at here. And he teaches us. And the first thing that he teaches us here is he teaches us to guard, to guard our heart. He says, friend who made me judge over you to decide such things, beware Guard against every kind of greed. We had covetousness in the ESV version, but I'm reading from a different translation, and it's better translated greed. Be on guard against every kind of greed. Now, this word guard means to watch or to keep an eye on things. And what Jesus is saying here to us is that he wants us to keep a watch on our motives, on our desires, and and upon our attitudes when it comes to those things that we possess. Everything is about our attitude of heart. There's nothing wrong with having things that God has allowed to come into our possession as long as we have the right attitude about those things. But so often we fail to guard our heart and we begin to worship the things. And they begin to take a place in our life they never were intended to have and they become idols to us. And how guilty are we of that in the United States of America? both individually, personally, as well as corporately. How often are churches more enamored with their buildings and the things that God has given them than they are with the God of the things, the one who gave them, the one who created them. Jesus is teaching us here, be on guard. Watch your heart. It's a good thing every once in a while to step back for a moment for a time of introspection, to consider where we are, And to pray over our attitudes and ask God to help expose to us and show us the blind spots where we've become enamored with things and we've begun to worship things that God has given us. Jesus says, be on guard. Attitude is everything. And we see this man had an awful attitude, completely opposite of what we're supposed to have. Before we get to his attitude, I just want to compare and contrast it with another fellow's attitude. A guy not by the name of John Wesley. Some of you guys may know that name. He was one of the founders of the Methodist Church. But it's told, and it's a story is told about his life, which demonstrates a proper attitude toward things and possessions. But it's said that 
One day, John Wesley was going along about his business when someone came to him and told him that his house had burned down. And when he had learned that his house had been destroyed by fire, he exclaimed, the Lord's house burned. One less responsibility for me. The Lord's house burned. One less responsibility for me. Now, now that would be your attitude, wouldn't it, if your house burned down, right? Would that be your attitude? Would that be my attitude? What would our attitude be? I, I was telling Kim this story. She said, I thought the punchline to this was as he was going to say, well, no one was hurt. Thank the Lord no one was hurt. No. He just said, the Lord's house burned down. That's one less responsibility for me. But yeah, we look in this fellow's life, and this man says to himself, my crops. Look how many times he says my. He says, my crops, my barns, my grain, my goods, my soul. You see, this fellow thought of himself as a self-made man. This fellow thought that he had a good life, and he had made that good life. He had created that good life for himself. He says, mine, mine, my crops, my barns, my grain, my goods, and then even the audacity, my soul. My soul. Man had the idea that he had worked hard, purchased and owned everything that he had, and that he was the Lord of the manor. He was Lord of it all. I want you to do something with me for just a moment. Just think with me for just a minute. The chair you're sitting in right now, did you have anything to do with its creation? Did you build that chair? Did you make that chair? Of course not. We know we bought these chairs. But what about the fellows who actually produce them, actually put them together. In reality, did they have anything to do with the creation of the materials needed to put that chair together? Absolutely not. Did they speak those materials in existence? No. So, well, they purchased them from someone else. Well, what about that guy? Did he speak those things into existence? Absolutely not. Well, make it more personal. Look at your hand at the end of your arm. The hand that you brush your hair with, the hand that we hope you brushed your teeth with this morning, right? The hand with which you buttoned your buttons on your shirt, drove yourself to church. Did you create that hand? Did you have anything to do with that hand being at the end of your arm? Did you have anything to do with the brain you use? No jokes here. Did you have anything to do with the hair you have on your head or had on your hair at, head at one time? Did you have anything to do with the creation of your heart and the blood that pumps through your veins? Did you have anything to do with your sense of consciousness that you have? Do you have anything to do, or did you have anything to do with the fact that you exist? No. You don't. You don't. We don't. None of us do. It's all given to us by God. He has made us stewards over something called life. And everything that we seemingly possess and hold in our hands right now is just one gift, one blessing that he has given us by which we are held accountable, I might add, to him someday, by which we might glorify him, make much of him, love him and praise him and serve him. Every breath we take and everything we hold in our hands and even the hand that we have itself. Jesus called this man a fool. Because of his wrong attitude. 
See, he thought he had created it all. Even his own soul, he felt some sense of personal responsibility for. He said, well, I would never do that. I would never do that. I, I have more sense than that. I would never be a fool in this matter. Would you? Would you never have the same attitude? Has there never been a time when you have had this attitude in your life? See, I think this is something we're very guilty of, especially in this generation and in this place, the United States of America. I think we're very guilty of this. I think we many times believe we have arrived and we have produced these things and we own these things and we are Lord of these things. It belongs to us to do what we want with. Our attitude is upside down, turned around, and a mess. And Jesus says, if you have this kind of attitude, the attitude this man had, then you are a fool. Jesus says, someday you're going to die. He says that to all of us. To this man, he said, hey, now, tonight, your soul is required of you. Someday we're all going to face that. We're all going to die. And everything that we have, everything by which you measure your life, if you live life like this man did, everything by which you measure your life and in which you find your security will be taken from you. It will simply pass into the hands of someone else. Have you thought about that? Everything you have, everything that you have ownership of right now, everything that you feel you are Lord of, it is just going to pass into someone else's hands. It's just going to pass right into their hands. Naked you came into this world, naked you're going to go out. They may put clothes on your back, but you're no more clothed than the baby coming into the world, really, because you don't even know you have the clothes on your back. You see, you will not enjoy one thing that you hold on to. Anything that you find security in outside of Christ and a relationship with Him, it's gone. Slips out of your hands. Anything by which you measure your life, if you're one of these people that think at the end of life the one with the most toys wins, you need to understand at the end of life we all have the same amount of toys, zero. None. Nada. Nothing. Not a thing. Jesus says, if you have the attitude that your things provide you security and your things provide you worth, you need to understand at the end of your life you have none of these things and you're a fool to depend, in, depend upon them. Because even this night, your soul may be required of you. So what do we do with things? What do we do with the things we have? Isn't it amazing? Isn't it a wonderful thing that we live in the United States? Isn't it amazing? Isn't it a wonderful thing that the dollar is the international currency? You think how different your life would be? Most of us don't understand is how different our life would be if, if it was still the sterling pound that was the international currency. You know how different our life would be if some other country's currency became the international standard, the international currency used in business and trade. God has blessed us richly. And you know, we have good jobs. Most of us in this room, we've had good jobs or have good jobs. We make Quite a bit of money by the world's standards. We are extremely wealthy. We have a great many things. And praise God for that. That's a wonderful thing, isn't it? And it's okay to praise God for things that he gives us. It's not a bad thing to possess some things. Abraham was a very, very wealthy man, as was his sons who followed him. Joseph was the most powerful person in Egypt, second only to Pharaoh, a very wealthy individual. We have again and again records of men who were very, very wealthy in the Bible. God, a lot of those that weren't. Disciples didn't have two pennies to rub together, it doesn't seem like, for many of them. But, but we know there are a great many men in the Bible who were wealthy, women in the Bible who were wealthy. We know Matthew, the tax collector, at least at one time, was wealthy. 
And God called him. Being wealthy is not an inherent evil. It is not a sin. It's the attitude we have towards our wealth. So we have wealth. We understand we have wealth. We know a bad attitude or wrong attitude is sin. We understand that we're just stewards of these things. That is, we're managers of these things that God gives us. So what now? What does that mean, preacher? What does that mean, pastor? How am I supposed to live and apply this to my life? Well, I want to talk about it in terms of retirement, but not just in retirement. I want to talk about it in terms of how we live our day-to-day life even if we have yet to retire. Because you see, there comes a point in time when we possess more than we need to sustain our life. And that's where this man was. He possessed more than he needed to sustain his life. Now this begs the question, how much do we actually need to sustain our life? How much do we actually need to live? Now I'm not going to to stand here this morning and tell you that if you make more than a certain dollar amount, you have more than you need to sustain your life, right? I'm not going to do that. I think that's something that you need to pray, you need to seek God for and know. But I can tell you this, there comes a point in time when your present and future needs are provided for if you live well and live right. For many people in this room, that is the case, and that will be the case. So what do we do With with the abundance that God gives us? You see, even, even now, and we're not even talking about retirement, even those of us who are younger than retirement and those that are far younger than retirement, not even considering maybe retirement at this time, we have more than we need. Most of us have more than we need to live on. What do you really need to live? Well, you need a, a roof over your head. You need probably a car to drive. There's no mass transit in this area, right, to speak of. So you need that. You need food to eat, clothes to wear. Well, there are basic necessities, but... There comes a point in time when God says, that's all you need, the standard you have right now. In the United States, we have the American dream, right? And so we measure the standard that we need by the standard we can achieve. The more money I have, the bigger the house. The more money I have, the nicer car I get to drive. The more money I have, the nicer clothes that I can wear. The more money I have, the more clothes I can wear. The more toys I can have. Now, who does that sound like? Does that sound like the guy in the story? He said, I have all of this abundance that I have provided for myself. What am I to do with this abundance? He says, well, I'm just going to build bigger barns. That sounds like a bigger house, doesn't it? He says, I'm just going to to invest. So what should I do? I don't have room for my crops. I don't, I don't know what to do with all this abundance that I have, that I've produced my abundance, my crops. He said, I know I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all the wheat and other goods. I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for many years to come. Now take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. You know what that sounds like? That sounds like somebody who's retired with much more than they ever need provide for their standard of living, doesn't it? Someone that's found security in their nest egg rather than in Christ who gave them the nest egg. See, a lot of people are sitting on a lot of resources right now. Now, here's where your toes are stepped on right now, right? A lot of people are sitting on a lot of resources right now that they'll never use, but they have it in case they need it. They've built bigger barns, built bigger 401Ks, built bigger savings accounts, bigger investments. To what end? 
You know, it's not a bad thing to have money to give to your children. It's not a bad thing to have money to give to your church. And listen, that's a good thing, right? Some folks leave the church out of their wills. It's a good thing to do that, but what we really need to know is, Lord, how much do I need right now to live on? And what is a, an acceptable standard of living for me that you intend for me on this earth so I don't just keep building bigger and bigger and bigger? I know what you want me to have, and that's it. That's enough. That means praying before we, we buy a new house, praying before we buy new cars, praying over what we do with everything God puts in our hands. But also, there comes a point in time when we say, okay, Lord, I've put back this money being a wise steward of what you've given me to provide for the future. Lord, what do I do now? And do I save it all to give it away into the future? Because you know, let, me, let me tell you something. God has given us what he has given us. He has given us charge and stewardship over some of his things, some of his money for our lifetime, for his purposes. And you or I are steward over these things and will be held accountable for what we do with these things. So why save them and give them all to the next generation after we die to give them that responsibility? It's a good question, isn't it? My father-in-law is a financial planner. One of the things that he tells his clients is, he says, don't wait to give all of your money away after you die. Live to enjoy seeing what God does with your generosity to other people. You want to give some money to your children and give them some money while you're alive to see the look on their face when you write that check and see what God does with that money in their life to provide and to bless. You say, well, I'm going to leave half a million dollars to this church. Look at my face when you write the check. All right. Joella says, look at her face when you. Now, beyond that, the joy, but beyond the joy also seeing the glory that is given to God as we prayerfully consider what to do with what he has given us and we obey him while we live. Because let me tell you something, everything is going to pass through your hands to someone else and the responsibility for stewardship for those dimes and those nickels are going to fall upon them when it goes through your hands to them. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but you're the one responsible for it right now. So if you have a lot of money that you know you're not going to spend and you have a lot of money in which you're placing your faith for your financial security, you need to get on your knees and start seeking the Lord so that you not be like, so you will not be like the man in this story. It's nothing wrong with having things. It's what you do with those things. It's about the attitude you have concerning those things in relation to God. You have the privilege of blessing with what God has given you. You have the privilege of being a steward of God's money that he has put in your hand. Some folks would say, you know, the Lord really wasn't serious when he told the rich young ruler, go sell everything you have and come follow me. The Lord would never do that. He's a reasonable God, right? No, the Lord actually said that. That wasn't a parable. He actually told that fellow, go sell everything you have. Why would he do such a thing? Because he knew that that man was placing his faith in what he had rather than in God. 
He knew that that man could not have a relationship with God until he let go of the things he had because they were his God. They were his idol. And Jesus said, give up your idols. Give up your faith in things. Repent and follow me. And he refused to do it. Because, you know, I think one of the most difficult things to do in life is to let go of your idols. Let go of those things that you have made a God. Those things in which you have placed your faith for your security and your future. And unfortunately, for so many of us in the United States of America, we have placed our faith for our security and our future in those things that we possess. What will you do? I read recently, uh, and I'm going to quote it, I'm going to read it to you today, something that a friend of mine, another pastor, wrote. He said, in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, the preacher said, I tried it all, and I found three dead ends. This is a summation of this chapter. Solomon, who wrote Ecclesiastes, was the richest man in the world. In fact, he's probably the richest man who ever will live when you consider all of the wealth that he had. He had achieved as much as you could achieve in his day. He had enjoyed every pleasure that you could possibly enjoy in his day. And so he says, I've tried it all and I found three dead ends. And here are the three dead ends he found. Accumulating things, experiencing pleasures, and achieving success. Now, it's not a wrong thing to achieve success, and it's not a wrong thing to experience pleasure, and it's not a wrong thing, again, as I said earlier, to possess some things that the Lord gives us. But what he is saying here is that I have found that these three things are a dead end if you are seeking your life's value, purpose, and enjoyment in these kinds of things. He says, I have found these three dead ends. The preacher, King Solomon, as I said, was the richest man on earth at the time, but He called reaching for these three things the equivalent of reaching for a handful of morning fog. And if you and I really want to live a fulfilling life, we must commit our ways unto God by faith in Jesus Christ. All other paths eventually lead to destruction. The quiet confidence that one is walking in a close, intimate relationship with God, with the God of the universe, brings joy beyond one's ability to express. You and I are just borrowing what God possesses, what he has placed in our hand for this time and for this purpose. Now, I want to close today with a little challenge. You see, preach a sermon like this and folks are, most of us get a little uncomfortable at some point. You you just, like, you know, I... Surely God wouldn't ask me to do what I'm thinking in my mind of doing. Surely God would not want me to give away, you know, this, that, or the other. I've been prudent. I've been wise. I've invested. I've provided. I've got all these. And, and God would not want me to just give that all away. That's a foolish thing in, the, in a spur-of-the-moment kind of thing to do. We start, giving our, we start talking to ourselves in these terms and justifying what we are already doing, and we just push aside any conviction of the Holy Spirit, any opportunity that God's Word may, be, may have to speak something new into our life. We just refuse it. We are hard-hearted to it because we've made our decisions, right? We made our decisions long ago, maybe some of us, on how we are going to possess and how we're going to use what God has given us as far as things are concerned. 
as far as money and resources. And I just want to challenge you this morning to, to pray and to allow the Holy Spirit to speak into your life and to be open to what God wants to do. Sometimes we have to pray this prayer, and I've mentioned this before. We have to say, God, make me willing to be willing to change. God, make me willing to be willing to listen. God, make me willing to be willing to hear what you want to say to me and then give me the courage to do it. Give me the courage to do it. How many would pray that prayer this week? How many would say, God, make me willing to be willing to listen and hear anything you have to say concerning what what you have spoken from your word this morning? Would you do that? Raise your hand. Raise your hand high. Would you be willing to do that? Okay. There's a willingness in this room. There's a willingness. We're going to pray, God, make me willing to be willing to listen, to hear, and to change. Because you know what? The reality is we need to humbly come to God with that kind of request when it comes to stuff like this because ingrained into our minds from the time that we're old enough to understand we are taught to save, we are taught to, taught to, to save for a rainy day, we're taught, taught to save for the future, we're taught to invest for the future, we're taught to be prudent, to be wise. A lot of us that were taught to do anything with money, we're taught those things, not bad things. Those are not bad things. Don't, don't hear me wrong this morning, just to, to use a double negative. Don't, do not hear me wrong, okay? Make sure you are hearing me correctly today. It is not an unwise move to invest for your future. It is not an unwise move to save. In fact, it's very wise to do both of those things. I tell young folks it is a wise thing to have insurance. It's a wise thing to have health insurance, a wise thing to have life insurance, We should provide those things in our budget. Those are are things that we should do. As God gives us the resources, we should pray over those things and we should wisely use those things to provide for the needs in our life. But let me tell you and let me challenge you with this. For most of us, and I would say almost all of us in this room and in the United States of America, there comes a point we have all we need and we have to be willing to change. We have to be willing to follow God into uncomfortable places and have faith in Him for the future. Trust Him for the future. Depend upon Him rather than upon the things of Him and from Him. Pray. You've committed to doing it. Pray. Seek God. For some in this room, it's going to mean eating out less and giving more. For some in this room, it means writing checks you were planning to write or someone to write after you died. (laughs) Never thought of that before. But whatever God lays on your heart, be willing to obey, follow, trust. And let me tell you something in just closing. You cannot outgive God. You cannot depend on God too much. You cannot lean upon God and see yourself on the floor. He will lift you up, carry you every single time. He will provide for your every single need. God has already shown that to you by giving you what you have now, which I promise you, whether you think so or not, you had nothing to do with. He said, well, I worked hard for that money. Yes, you did, and he gave you the two legs, two hands to do so and the brain to do it. God has already given you everything you have, everything. And everything you have is going to pass through your hands to someone else. So it's time to listen to what he wants you to do in the here and now. And be willing to obey.